Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Hebrews 11, verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. So far, there have been a wide range of examples of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Sarah. There have been all these examples. And then we get to verse 32. And the author says, I love this, And what more shall I say? I mean, I've given you already 12 different examples of faith. How many more other examples of faith do you need to be inspired to see that God is worth trusting? He goes, I could keep going. He says, for the, the, wor- the, the time would fail me. I don't have enough time to give you all the examples of people who have trusted God and it working out for them. I don't have enough time to go through the full list. It would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who all by faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's, we know that's Daniel, right? Quenched the violence of fire. Who's that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the bunny, VeggieTales? I'm sorry, that you, you know, me too, unfortunately. Um, they escaped the edge of the sword. So by faith, look at what they experienced in a life of faith. Out of weakness, they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight the armies of the foreigners or the aliens. I read that first. I was like, that sounds like Independence Day. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens, but that's literally the foreigners. That's weird. Next verse. Women received their dead raised to life again. So he's like, I could keep going on and on about all these examples of faith. I mean, look at how many people have walked by faith and look at what, what, what uh, God has done. Now, he lists the highs, but he also lists people, to me, this is greater faith, not just people that experienced great circumstances through faith, but people that walked through really terrible circumstances by faith. He says, others were tortured. They could have given up in faith and said, no, never mind, I'm not going to profess Christ. I'm not going to speak on behalf of God. I'm going to kind of give in to the culture. I'm going to shrink back. No, others by faith were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. It's kind of heavy. Um, many scholars believe this is referring to the prophet Isaiah. Many people believe Isaiah was the, a prophet that ended up being martyred this way. Good morning. Happy New Year. He was sawn in two. Many were tempted in faith. That's like, that's like me. They put me in there, you <laughs> know. Andrew's in there. He gets tempted. Many were slain with the sword. Many wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. I love that. Look at this expression, though. Of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that beautiful? They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. The author has gone to great lengths to say, look at the testimony of people, of the people of faith from history. Look at how they've walked, and look at how faithful God has been. It says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, they did not receive the promise. In their lifetime, they didn't see the promise of the Messiah as we did. Now, I want you to notice the shift here. He's been saying, they, 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 they. Now, verse 40, God having provided something better for 
us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. God has provided us the Messiah, Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, that's a big therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, he's talked about their faith, them, now he's saying it's time for us, we also, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for your word this morning. Thank you for the encouragements that you've given us already from this chapter. Help us, God, see what you're trying to show us. Help us hear what you want to speak to us. Lord, this is, is not about me. We're not here because of me. There's nothing special in this moment, Lord, because of anything natural. But there is opportunity in this moment because of your spirit, because of your word, because of your son, Jesus. And so grow our faith. Speak to us in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what an incredible shift that takes place from Hebrews chapter 11 into Hebrews chapter 12. Like I said, for the past four months, we've been walking through all these examples of, of faith, encouraging us to walk by faith in God as well. And then you get to the big therefore moment there in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in other words, in light of all this, in, in light of the faith of Abraham, in light of the faith of Moses, we've we studied so many different characters, in light of the faith of Joseph, therefore, this is a key phrase here, we also. The author's saying, it's your turn. In, in light of all this faith, it's your turn to walk by faith. I love how he describes these casts of characters as a cloud of witnesses, I mean, that's really who they are. Some have said that this is language speaking to kind of an Olympic race, and, and these are the, the, the cloud of witnesses surrounding us and spurring us on. Um, potentially, that's the figurative meeting here that, that Abraham is like, I've trusted God, and it works out. You got this, you know? Keep going with whatever you're going through. Some have taken it, like, to be as literal as possible. Like, there's literally, like, a cloud of witnesses that are watching us through the window of heaven and you know, better watch out. Abraham's watching you. You know, you better have faith. You know, I think that's a bit literal, a bit much there. Um, to me, when I look at the context of this verse, the expression that's being declared here is that we have from history, and hopefully we also have in our life, we have a cloud, a multitude of people who can testify to one single important thing, which is really important to bring into a new year. And it's this, it's that God is worthy of trust. This great cloud of witnesses, and this is what's amazing about the chapter. Like, the chapter's not even really about their faith. That's what we've made it about. Look at what they've done by faith, but that's not really what it's about. This chapter's not just about their faith. It's about the God that they're trusting in. They're, at the end of the day, they're witnesses. They're like, yeah, we've walked by faith, but what makes our faith worthwhile is that God has been worthy of it. 
He has proven faithful. We are a group of witnesses that can say that when you set your life on the target of trusting God, believing him to be true, and living accordingly, you are banking on something hopeful. You are banking on the faithfulness of God. And we can testify to that. You know, the the church is meant to be this same cloud. We're meant to be a cloud of witnesses. People come into a gathering or people encounter us and they go, what's this Christian thing all about? Well, our testimony is not about our faithfulness. That's not what we witness to. Well, here's the deal. We're the faithful ones. That's what this is all about. You want to get on this? You know, come on in. Come be a faithful one. We're faith-filled people. No, the community of, of, of faith is people that say, we're just witnesses to the fact that God has been faithful. He is faithful. He's so faithful that he displayed such great love in providing his son Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And here's the key phrase, therefore. In other words, in light of all these people who have trusted God and he's been found trustworthy, it's time that we walk by faith. You know, I think this is the only way to end a series on faith. It's to go, okay, Am I walking by faith? You know, could I be included in Hebrews 11? How am I encouraged to live this out? Um, It's just, I think, a perfect ending to this study and also, I think, a perfect way to start a new year. I thought, you know, for our our short moments left together here, I thought the message today should be entitled simply, How to Walk by Faith in 2022. How to Walk by Faith in 2022. that, that's what's, what's given to us here, a, a call to live by faith. And certainly, the past two years have tested our faith, bringing challenges to our faith that reveal the quality of our faith. Are, are, are we faith-filled people? Or are we fearful people? Are, are we people that are going to give up because of how difficult things get? Are we going to get bitter and angry at the world? Or are we going to keep trusting God? Well, we have a great blank slate before us. It's called 2022. And I have no idea, neither do you, what this year is going to hold. And if the past two years are any indication, there's some reasons to maybe be a little timid. But Hebrews 12 calls us to get our eyes off of circumstances, to get our eyes off of the world around us, to get our eyes even off of ourselves. This chapter, especially these verses say, focus on Jesus. And if there's anything that we should be thinking about as we enter a new year, it's how am I going to trust God this year? He's proven himself faithful. I'm part of the cloud of witnesses. 2021 was hard. 2020 was harder. God has been faithful. But how should I trust him? Here's a couple ways that we are encouraged to walk by faith in 2022. And it comes right out of these verses. The first thing that the author says to us with our journey towards faith, the first thing he tells us to do, and I I, I promise you I'm not making this up because it's a New Year thing. First thing he says to do is lose the weight. That's literally the first thing that he says to do if we're going to walk by faith. He says, Happy New Year. It's time to lose the holiday Wait, no, he doesn't say that. He does say this in Hebrews 12.1. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. If we want to walk by faith, we've got to lose the weight. We've got to lay aside 
every weight. Um, you, you've probably known this before, heard this before. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the call to faith here is illustrated by an Olympic race, an athletic comp- competitive race. The language here of laying aside every weight is that of a runner who's stripping down to the bare minimum to be as light and free as possible. The phrase there, lay aside, means to remove a garment, right? Like you don't see too many runners, at least in South Florida because it's so hot, but, but especially in South Florida, you don't see too many runners going for a jog like in a three-piece suit, they usually got like some of the nicest, coolest, shortest shorts on, and they got a nice tank top on because they want to be lightweight. They, they, want to, they don't want to have any encumbrance. They don't want to be weighed down. They don't want, to be any, they don't, they don't want there to be any burdens keeping them from the race. And that, that's the same language here. When it comes to our faith, it's saying, lay aside every weight. Now, this is a really encouraging scripture for a lot of different reasons. The first thing that I'm encouraged by when I read this is I'm encouraged by the recognition that the writer gives to the weight of life and the difficulty of life. This verse itself is acknowledging that life isn't easy, life isn't breezy, but life is filled with weights. Maybe you know what that feels like, to feel the weight of life, to feel the weight of of circumstance. Um, I I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.4. It says, for we who are in this tent, that means this earthly body, we groan being burdened. Paul's talking about the hope that he has of of heaven. And he says that that we want to be further clothed. Our, Our mortality will be swallowed up by life. He's talking about the hope one day that we'll go from a tent to a building, a temporary dwelling to a heavenly body, to a heavenly eternal hope. But but I love this this honest description here of life here on earth. What, what What a perfect description of the human condition. In this tent, first of all, he says we groan. We get out of bed in the morning, we're like, ugh. But he but he says this, we're burdened. There's burdens in life. There's weights in life. It's the nature of life. It's not light and easy and breezy. It's, it's heavy, and we're regularly gaining weight. We're regularly accumulating weight. We're regularly, and sometimes subconsciously. You ever notice that? You ever been like, oh my goodness, look what I've been carrying. I didn't even consciously take that weight on. I didn't consciously put that on my shoulders, but I'm realizing, or someone else says, hey, it looks like you're carrying something. Life is weighing down on you. Have you ever felt the weight of life? Maybe it's the weight of fear. And it's crippled you. How about this, the weight of regret? You ever wore that weight? I wish I wouldn't have, or I wish I would have. There's the weight of anxiety. Like a heavy garment, anxiety. It's something we can wear and carry. There's the weight of shame. There's the weight of anger. There's the weight of depression. This is a big one, the weight of responsibility. Where you go home and the the workday's done, but it's still like cycling through your mind and your kids want to hang out with you or they want to talk with you. And it's just this weight that you bring home, the weight. Maybe we'll just say the weight of life. Like life is not light. There's a reality here that the author of Hebrews is acknowledging life is heavy. But it's important 
to recognize that though the weight of life is a reality, we don't have to carry it. I love that. Lay aside every weight. He says here that, that there's, there's an idea here that, that the reason why we, we shouldn't be burdened down with the weights of life is, is especially this, because it will suffocate our faith. That's what burdens do. They make us exhausted. They, they, make, they make us weak. They make us weary. And faith becomes suffocated under the different weights that we Bear. So he says, lay it aside. This is language straight out of Psalm 55, where you get a great vision for what to do with these burdens. Look at Psalm 55. It says, cast your burden on the Lord. I love this. And he shall sustain you. So here's a vision for life. Things are going to be heavy. You're going to carry weights in life. There's going to be the weight of regret, the weight of shame, the weight of fear, the weight of responsibility. There's going to be all sorts of things that will weigh down on you. But in relationship with God, we need to be regularly and almost rhythmically recognizing those weights and giving them back to God. What a great vision. God, I can't carry this. Uh, Wait a minute. I'm not God. The weight of the world is not on my shoulders. The weight of this circumstance isn't on, I need to, this is a discipline. I'm going to cast my burden on you, Lord. I'm going to surrender it to you. I'm going to give it to you. And what a great vision here. And he's going to sustain you. He's going to give you strength as you cast that burden on him. It's interesting, in in 1 Peter, the language that Peter uses is very similar. But there's a, a little bit more insight that he gives about casting our burdens on the Lord. And I want you to notice the connection here in 1 Peter with the things that we carry. Peter says, notice this, humble yourselves. Whatever weight you're carrying, humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God, who gives grace to the humble, that he may exalt you in due time. This is one sentence, by the way, in the original language. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So same deal here, but this is Peter writing, so he's using like fisherman language. He's a fisherman. So he's like, cast your burden on the Lord. Cast it out, right? And it's a regular thing. You're casting, you're reeling, you're casting over and over again. That's fishing. Knowing that God cares for you. He's there for you. He wants to strengthen you. You're not meant to carry that thing. But but notice the root issue. Notice what's keeping us from casting our burdens, according to Peter. He says... It's kind of pride. Our pride is what's making us think we're supposed to carry these things or that we can carry these things. Here's the prescription to the weight of life. Humble yourself before God, saying, oh, wait, I'm not you, Lord. I don't carry these things. I'm not not suited to to bear this weight, but you are. And I'm going to humble myself before you, recognizing that I'm incapable of carrying this, and I'm going to cast it on you, trusting in your faithfulness, trusting in the strength that you're going to give me. Instead of being suffocated by the weight of life, I'm going to humble myself before you and give it to you. I'm going to allow you, Jesus, to rescue me from the burden. You know, this is one of the ways Jesus describes the salvation he came to bring. There's a lot that Jesus came to bring through his mission of coming to the earth to rescue humanity. And one of the invitations he has for humanity, I love this, out of Matthew 11, is this. He says, come to me. What do I do with my burdens? Go to Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I love this promise. And I will give you rest. He then goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So if at any moment of life we find that, that following Jesus is a real burden, right? Man, it's so hard to be a Christian in this culture and just bear the weight of the culture. And how hard, It's like, well, hold on. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is a surrendered posture that says, God, this is not for me to carry. I'm going to give it to you. And you know what? I want to say this. There's a reason for this. The reason why God doesn't want us to be load down with weights is not just for our faith. That's certainly why Hebrews 12 says to do it. You'll be suffocated if you're wearing those weights. But it's also for other people's faith. Notice Galatians 6.2. This is an interesting scripture. In Galatians 6.2, it says this, bear, notice this, one another's burdens. It's like if I'm carrying in all the groceries, right? You know what I'm talking about, guys? You got all of them in two hands. You know, opening the pickle jar and pulling in all the groceries in one trip is like a, a big mark there, all right? That's the man you're looking for. But... If I'm carrying all this stuff, and, and this happens all the time where I'll get home, I'll have like all my stuff coming out of the car, and Penny or Evie goes, Dad, hold me. It's like, where? You know, like, they usually just like climb on my head, you know, and I walk in like that. But, but there's a truth to this in life. Like, think about it. There are people around you that are bearing burdens that, that God wants you to come alongside and help relieve them. He wants you to come alongside and say, let me help you carry that. But how are we able to help others with their burdens if we're carrying our own? If we're weighed down with the things of life. So think about this. The reason why God wants to free you from the weights is because he wants to use you to free others from their weights as well. He comforts us so that we can be a comfort to others. So if we're going to walk by faith in 2022, let's just set our minds. We're go- Listen, I just want to promise you this year is going to have some heavy stuff. Okay, The Lord told me. All right, He spoke to me. He said this year, like every year in, in history, is going to have some heavy things. There's going to be heavy things circumstantially. There's going to be heavy things in your life personally. Like heavy weights are promised ahead of us. The question isn't, will life be heavy? It's what will you do with the burdens of life? Will you try to carry them in your pride? Or will you, you and I both humble ourselves and say, Lord, we're going to lay aside every weight. We don't want to suffocate our faith, God, and we want to be able to help those around us. Amen? So in the new year, how do we walk by faith? We've got to lose the weight. You know what, what else we have to do is in the new year, if we're going to walk by faith, we also need to, write this down, avoid the trap. We've got to walk by faith. Therefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we lay aside every weight, and then there's a comma, and then another thought comes out of the pastor's mouth, and he says this, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So two big obstacles already before us in this new year to our faith. One is the weights of life, and two is sins, besetting sins in some translations, that, look at this description, so easily ensnare us. So so now the the, the author here is saying that sin is going to be a major obstacle to your faith in Christ. It will impede your progress. You know, living in sin, by the way, will never keep you from the love of God. This is important to know this. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, yet sinners, before, present, future, Christ died for us. 
where sin abounds and the gospel grace abounds that much more. Do we know this? we got to know this, right? That it's not, it's not your, your performance this year that's going to determine whether or not God loves you in 2023. Or if he loved you in 2021. He loves you because you're his child adopted through the gospel, adopted through Christ. Sin will not keep you from the love of God, but... There's a sense in which sin will keep you from the life of God. Sin will keep you not from eternal life, which is bought with a price through Jesus, but sin will keep you from abundant life. Sin will keep you from all that God wants to do in and through you. That's the language of sin in Scripture. It's this this sort of like limiting creature that's always looking to prevent God's purposes coming to pass in our life. And And there's an important acknowledgement of that here in this verse. Notice the description of sin here. The sin, by the way, sin is anything that is in disobedience to the will of God. Anything um, Anything that's the opposite of loving God and loving neighbor is sin, as described in Scripture. And the description of that here in Hebrews 12 is that this, these sins, they ensnare us. So even here, sin is described as a trap. Isn't that interesting? Sin is described as this preventing, limiting trap that keeps us from what God has for us. Another interesting description here is that sin is something that doesn't just trap us, but if you've lived your life and if uh, you're a human, you've learned that it easily entraps us. Like, sin is not a hard thing to fall into. Sin is not something that we, that's like, like if you want to get into sin, it's not difficult. You don't have to like go through six people to find like, where can I get some sin? Like, do you know where I can get some sin? Try and get some sin. It's almost like sin because of the bodies that we're in and and our nature and our tendencies. Sin is a default almost tendency at times. The sin which so easily, it so easily ensnares us. It's not difficult to get trapped in sin. You know this. Most of the time, the way that I learn about the sins that I need to repent of is I don't look in the future like the things I might do. I'm like, oh, I just did that. Okay. Oh, I did that. Oh, I acted that way. Or I responded that way. Or I thought that way. Or I I, I had that inclination in my heart this way. Jesus describes sins as both not just actions, but also thoughts and motives and words. And it's just easy. Sin is an easy trap to fall into. Now, when you recognize this, you can then begin to go, I, I need a strategy. Like, recognizing that sin will keep you from progress and that sin is easy to fall into, the response should go, okay, so how do I avoid the trap? If it's so easy to fall into, what am I doing to strategically avoid the trap ahead of me? I think of my west side yard. We took out some landscaping a couple years ago, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And we haven't really got to caring at all about the grass yet, which is unfortunate because it's like one of the main places the kids play. So right now it's, it's kind of, it's come alive. There's some green to it. But if you've, you know Florida, you know Florida lawns left to themselves, they develop evil little demon thorns, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Those little spikes, the, the Florida, what are they called, burrs or something like that? They're horrible. They're like, I feel like sometimes I'm like in a Mario video game or like Sonic. They like spike you. It's like you're in a video game. You ever stepped on those things? And all you have to do is like, you, if you come within five feet, it attaches to your body immediately. And you have to flick it out. That's the big thing. And they hurt. I think I got like one halfway in my foot at this moment, actually. 
So um, the best part about the side yard there is that's our little, that's our chipping, that's one of our chipping spots. We got a couple. That's one of our, our we practice golf on the side yard there with a the little practice balls. Um, and I know, because I got my neighbors here, so I, did, I wanted you to know they're practice balls, okay? They're not real golf balls. Okay, your cars are there, I know. Um, and, and, and when I, when I hit the golf balls and I go, have to go after them, if I just kind of walk through the grass barefoot having my merry way, I will fall into the burr thorn trap every time. So the way that I have to walk, it's the way that, listen to Ephesians 5 says this. It says, see then, this is how we're called to live our Christian lives, recognizing that there's traps for sin that we'll easily fall into. Look at Paul's encouragement. He says, here's how we should live our lives. Walk circumspectly. This is the language he uses. Not as fools, but, but be wise. Knowing that sin impedes your progress, knowing that it's easy to fall into, he says it's how you conduct your perspective when you're walking. Circumspectly, think of a circumference. And the idea here is you're walking circumspectly means you're, you're, you have a full vantage of what's going on around you. You're not just closing your eyes and walking, but if you see me walk barefoot through the grass, I have to, walk, I have to look at every step. Okay, there's one. And sometimes you don't see them. They're sneaky, okay? But sometimes you, you, you got to look, and there'll, there'll be special weeds that you got to step over. And the language here is saying that's how we're to conduct our lives. we got to also think about how we're living. You know, left to our own devices, we won't avoid the sins that so easily ensnare us. We've got to be diligent. We've got to be wise. And if you, listen, if you keep falling into the same trap over and over and over again, you're literally living out the definition of what? Insanity. Doing the same thing, expecting different results. It's time to get into community. It's time to have accountability. It's time to create a strategy. Get the software on your computer. Get the friend that you can meet with. Who's praying for you? Who's praying for you not just three months from now when you've accumulated all these, these, these issues that you're stuck in, but who's praying for you and who are you going to when you're tempted or when, when you need to repent? The need for community, the need for the body of Christ, the need to have a strategy to avoid the trap. Wouldn't it be awesome if this year we experienced the victory that comes through following Jesus we grow in our faith because we, we took Jesus seriously by taking his word seriously, which means we take sin seriously. We say, I'm going to avoid the trap. N not because sin keeps me from the love of God, but because I want all that God has for me. And I don't want to be kept from that one bit. So if we're going to walk by faith in 2022, we've got to lose the weight in more ways than one. We need to avoid the trap. That so easily ensnares us. Write this next one down. If we're going to walk by faith in 2022, we need to be ready to run the race. To run the race. He says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here we go. we got a race ahead of us. The finish line actually isn't the new year next year. It's when we meet Jesus. But figuratively thinking, we have a new year ahead of us. And with that, as Christians, we have a race to run. And this is really the language that makes up the whole section here. That's kind of the, the picture he's painting in his mind. And I think it's a really helpful description for us to understand what the Christian life is. It's, it's important to understand that the Christian life is not, the life of faith is not a morning jog. You know, it's not a leisurely stroll or, or walk on the beach. It's a race. The Christian life is a race. It's a marathon with a finish line. 
Paul, at the end of his life, says that I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race. It's a marathon with a finish line, and and notice this, and it requires endurance. Um, If you've run before, you really, really, whether or not you keep running determines are you going to endure in running. That's really the question. Everyone's like, I'm starting the year off. I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to run. I've got to run. I've got to be healthy, so I've got to run. Everybody's going to run. We've got to run. Everyone's running, okay? And, and, and a couple weeks in, you'll, you'll determine, um, do I want the whole pain thing to keep going? Which requires, and endurance is literally when you're at the point when you want to quit and you don't want to run anymore, you go, I'm not there yet. So if I stop here, I've got to call an Uber, all right? I got to keep going. And that's the picture here that the pastor is giving to this church. You've got a race before you. And if you're going to cross the finish line, if you're going to walk by faith in 2022, there's going to be some weights, there's going to be some struggles, and it's going to require that you endure, that you keep going. And the language here is not just that you don't like fully abandon Christ, but endurance and faith means that you're you're pursuing an ever-growing faith. You're going after Jesus. You're not settling for apathy and kind of just getting by. That's not endurance. Just coasting. You're enduring by faith, following Jesus in the new year. This is one of the main encouragements that the author of Hebrews is giving this church. Remember earlier in Hebrews 10, he says, Therefore, don't cast off your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. I mean, this is like... It's, it's, it's kind of fun athletic language, but this is, this is serious stuff for this community. These are a group of people that are like ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to call the Uber, right? They're ready to give up. They're ready to stop running. They're too tired. They're too exhausted. It's too hard. And the pastor says, don't quit now. You've got to be set on enduring. You see, God does his best work through endurance, See, that's where faith is actually built. You know Romans 5? Romans 5 says this. Not only that, we also glory in the tribulations we face. We know that that tribulation, when you get into hard times, it produces perseverance. If you're going to keep going, tribulation will force you to endure. Persevere. Perseverance, character. And character produces hope. And if you're a runner, you know this. That's how you get better at running. The more you endure, the farther you can run. And this is true also of the Christian life. The more that you endure, the more that you trust God through, the more that you persevere through, the more endurance that God builds into you, the more that your faith is refined, the more that your faith is grown. I want to say one last thing about endurance. And it comes from Jesus in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells us the root issue behind anyone who's lacking endurance. Maybe you look at your life and you're like, I'm more of a sprinter. Super fast. Running the 40. Make me go a mile, it's not going to make it. Don't really endure, but I'm more of a, a sprinter. And maybe you go, that's kind of like your Christian walk. Is you sprint, and then you kind of give up. And you sprint, and then, you know, and then a couple years later, you recommit. And it's, 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 it's kind of the sprinting sort of approach, rather than enduring with the Lord. 
which eventually leads to some sort of a crash. Jesus says this is the root reason why that happens in a lot of our lives. In Mark chapter 4, remember this is the, the parable of the sower. It's talking about the different kinds of hearts that come into contact with the love and the truth and the word of God. And everyone has a different response. And he talks about one response that he describes as like a sower sowing seed on stony ground. He says there's a person who, when they have the word of God sown in their hearts, it says when they have hear the word, it says immediately, notice this, they receive it with gladness. They're like, yeah, I love God. I want to follow him. I want all that he has for my life. But notice that gladness is shortly followed. It says this, and they have not, I can't read it back there. Let me read it up here. They, they, they hear the word and immediately receive it with gladness and says, and they have no, here's the key phrase, they have no root in themselves. That's so important. And so they only endure for a time afterwards when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So they receive God's word, but they only endure for a short time. And the reason is because there, there's a lack of rootedness. So in order for a tree to endure and grow up and endure, it's got to be rooted down. And the same is true for our lives as well. Are you rooted in Christ? If there's a lack of endurance, maybe there's a lot of lack of rootedness. Are you rooted in community? Are you rooted in scripture? Are you rooted in prayer? Are you rooted in God's love for you? We root in and God grows us up and gives us strength to endure. Lastly, we'll close with this last one. The last encouragement here is to fix the focus. We're going to walk by faith in 2022. We've got to lose the weight. We've got to avoid the traps. We've got to run the race. There's got to be rudeness that leads to endurance. And lastly, we need to fix the focus. He says, as we run this race, there should be one place that we fix our eyes. He says, we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, any runner knows that this is an important part of running a race, is, is having your mind's eye on where you're headed. Don't look down at your feet, don't look at the person next to you, but your focus is one of the most important things. In fact, the language here of looking unto Jesus, it literally, the word looking there, it speaks of, of trying to zoom in and bring to clarity something that's far away. And that's one of the toughest things to do sometimes with keeping our eyes on Jesus, who's the source of our faith, as it says here. That's the key to faith, is keeping your eyes fixed on the object of your faith, Jesus. One of the most difficult things is it can seem like everything else is closer than Jesus, right? I don't know about you, but I find it a lot easier to look at things around me. I find all sorts of other things that are so much closer, it seems like, than Jesus. Jesus, it's like you have to look beyond everything in the distance and keep your eyes fixed on the target. It takes discipline to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so the, I love this, this, uh, this, this call. It's to fix the focus. I think of my eight-year-old, Judah. Christmas, he got a new camera, a little underwater one. He loves it. He's getting into photography this morning. Well, last night, he, was take, he found Brittany's old camera. It's, like a, it's one of those digital cameras that look really nice, but your iPhone's better than it now. You know those? Okay. Um, and he was taking photos. And I go, Judah, why don't you... Why don't you ask Victor tomorrow so you can serve on the photo team? He looked up and he's like, I can do that? You know, like, you'll let me? And so if you see him today, if you came in, you know, maybe this week on Instagram, we'll see some of Judah's photos. We'll tag him, all right? Um, give him the credit. 
He's, he, right now, he's just kind of pointing and shooting. Uncle Berto was giving him a few tips the other night. They were having fun. But, but he came up to me this last night as I'm studying, and I'm already writing this point, fix the focus. This is already written. And he goes up to me, he goes, Dad, I'm trying to get a shot of, of my action figure over there on the counter, but I can't bring it into focus. And he's like, what is it? It was kind of far away. And I go, oh, Judah, you have manual focus on. Now, I'm a photographer, let me tell you. I know, just kidding, Justice, he's the guy, go talk to him, okay? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know much of anything about photography. Um, I do know that autofocus is where it does it for you. So I was like, you just gotta switch it to autofocus. And that's what he did. And, all, and he was like flipping out. Like, he kind of liked being able to do it himself, but just the ability to be able to, to push this little button and it automatically brings it into focus. Now, wouldn't the Christian life be awesome if we had spiritual autofocus? That'd be great. It's like, I'm fine. Oh, focus on Jesus. It happens automatically, okay? <laughs> I wake up every day focused on the Lord. I walk through my news feed focused on the Lord. I face a conflict focused on the Lord. Auto-focused. Nope, right? No. Left to automatic, everything about the Lord is blurry. We've got to fix the focus. In your heart as you enter this new year, is there a purpose in there to focus on Jesus this year? What's going to be your focus in 2022? It's great to have health goals, life goals, all that stuff's great. But are you focused on the Lord? Are you going into this year saying, I know left to my own, things will get blurry, but I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus in this race? That's the only way that faith will really endure is if we're looking at who we're trusting in. If our, and this speaks of relationship, like locking eyes with the Lord, walking with him, knowing him, but also seeing him, I love this, as the author and finisher of our faith. Like maybe one of the reasons why your faith is so, so struggled right now and it's becoming so weak is because you're focusing on yourself. You're like, I've got to get myself to the finish line. I've got, no, get your eyes off you. You didn't start the whole faith thing in you. That was Jesus. He's the author. And by the way, you're not going to be the hope of glory in your life. You're not going to be the one that's going to cross the finish line and go, and Jesus is there waiting like, you made it. Good job. I'm proud of you. No, it's Philippians 1.6 says that God, we can be confident of this very thing, that God who began a good work in us, he's the one who's going to complete it. God's never started a story that he hasn't finished. He doesn't write incomplete stories. He begins a work and he finishes the work. We've got to get our eyes back on the Lord this year. Say, Jesus, my hope this year is in you. I'm fixing my eyes on you. I'll invite the band to come out. What, what better way is there to close a time like this than to see not just Jesus as the source of our faith, but we see Jesus ultimately as the example, the greatest example of faith, the greatest example of endurance. It tells us that as we look at Jesus, you know who we're looking at? We're looking at the one who finished his race. Aren't you glad Jesus finished his race? He endured the cross, despising the shame that came with crucifixion. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. There was joy before him. Jesus saw that on the other side of endurance was reward. It was you, it was me, it was his church, it was redemption, it was forgiveness of sins for the whole world. And so Jesus' eyes fixed on the joy set before him, enabled him 
to endure what he went through. Joy. Jesus didn't enjoy his suffering. He endured his suffering. But the joy set before him is what caused him to endure. And, and maybe for us, that's where we need to come back to, bringing our joy back in Jesus. Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Enable me to endure this year. 